A reading from the book of John, chapter 1, verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is the word of the Lord. Praise Praise to be Christ. (laughs) Great job, Graham. Well, welcome again. It's good to see all of you. My name is Stacy Croft. If I missed you earlier, I'm the lead pastor here at Christ Presbyterian Church in town. It's great to pack in. It's great to hear the noise. I warned you, I told you, I wanted to hear all the noise. And so many of you are like, there's no childcare. Exactly. We want it all in here. Uh, welcome. One note, I want to tell you, this is actually a good problem to have. We ran out of candles. Hey, guess what? We all have phones. So when the lights go down, instead of using our electric candles, why don't we use our electric smartphones? How about that? We're going to turn those lights on and use them instead, okay? But I'll give you that uh, instruction when we get there. Well, welcome again. Uh, If this is your first time, second time, or millionth time, uh, so glad to have you and hope I get to meet you at some point. You've gotten to see several of our families uh, several of the people that are part of the life of in town. There's so many others that you saw on screen as well as in this room, and we'd love to get to know you better. It was 1904, and James Barry was hard at work creating his masterpiece, Peter Pan. He had a lot of pushback, though, because who wanted to go see some play about some boy who wanted to stay a boy forever? This play that would, we know now, become this incredible hit about the boy who never grew up. But at the time, in 1904, no one wanted to see it. It was not something that was heralded. And he, as a playwright, was really trying to push it. Well, the night that came in the Duke of York's theater in London, and Mr. Barry himself thought up a great plan. So... As the people were let in, you saw, and you can actually see this in the movie, you read about this in the play itself, that many of the well-to-do Londoners came in and they sat in their seats as they did where they were looking and listening to the music playing, looking at the curtain, awaiting the show and the curtain to go up, but all the while noticing that there were empty seats next to them all throughout. Kind of wondering, well, I guess the show didn't sell out, I guess... Mr. Barry is a failure after all. Suddenly, right before the curtain goes up, the doors in the back open and in come children from the nearby orphanages. They run through the halls. They sit in every seat, any seat they could find, kind of like musical chairs. They plop themselves down and all of a sudden, then they sit, the curtain goes up and the children are on the edge of their seat watching and the adults in their well-to-do suits are not watching the play at all. They're actually looking at the kids to the left and right of them. Dressed not in a way that they would think they should be dressed in a play like this. How dare they? Who, what were they thinking letting them in? But as the play moved forward, you would notice that the kids on the edge of their seat laughing, thinking, oh, I want to be a part of this. I, want, I never want to grow up. The adults watching them started wondering why are they laughing so much? And eventually began watching the play itself. And by the end of the play, the whole audience together 
was in an uproar, clapping, cheering. Not just the adults, the kids had brought them in. It was genius by James Barry. Why? Because for in order for those people, those well-to-do adults like we think we are, as we come and we sing these songs and we think it's so cute as the kids come and line the stage, which is so awesome. But what do we miss? James Barry got is that we want to be drawn into the story. And how did he do it? We had to come through the eyes of the child. Do you know, uh, if you're here t- this, this evening, this afternoon, this evening, the thing that I want to welcome you to, whether you're new to maybe even church or maybe to in town or been a part of it, is to say that we in this church believe that there's a story where a man named Jesus was born, that God took on flesh. It's called the incarnation. It is this story that has been told for centuries. A story that has been heralded all over, not only our city, the state, the country, the world for millennia. And it is one that I would ask us to be drawn up into. It is one that is huge. In fact, there's a a pastor named Tim Keller who is out of New York who actually said this. He said the gospel, that is the gospel, the good news of Jesus, because it is a true story, means all the best stories will be proved in the ultimate sense true. It is the fact that this is about a grand story that we are to be brought up into. And here's the amazing thing, the flip, the the change up that comes right down the middle that we swing and miss so often isn't the fact that we come into this room to come to the baby Jesus, it's the fact that the baby Jesus came to us. That's what's beautiful about this actual verse, this one little verse that says the word became flesh It became flesh. And if you're visiting and wondering about it, that we believe and talk about the incarnation, God becoming flesh, because we believe it's true. We believe this is the story of all stories. In fact, as one commentator put it, Christmas tells us that God became breakable and fragile. God became someone we could hurt. Why? To get us back. That Jesus came breakable, fragile, to be hurt even by us, to get us back. It says that he came in flesh. Flesh, that he identified with us. That's amazing to me. That the word flesh in the Greek means is sarks. It's a word that's different than what we think. We think of flesh, we think of just the physical tangible, but the Hebrews, when they talked about flesh, they talked about the outside and inside. They talked about the, the physical, the touching, the tangible. They talked about the, their mind, the psychology behind all of us and our parts. It's that he came and identified that God himself took on all of that tangibility, all of that psychology, all of that. C.S. Lewis, this Oxford professor who wrote countless books, if you've never heard of him, he's, he's written what's called The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Many of you have heard of one of his best friends named J.R. Tolkien. J.R. Tolkien wrote The Lord of the Rings And J.R. Tolkien was actually a Christian at the time. He actually believed that Jesus was the son of God. This baby was God in flesh. And for a long time, C.S. Lewis did not. And what changed C.S. Lewis 
was over and over, and here's what's interesting. C.S. Lewis himself was an Oxford professor who believed in, he taught Norse mythology, right? That's what he loved to study. That's what he taught in Oxford. And over and over, as he and J.R. Tolkien would have these conversations, they would have this conversation about, yeah, you know, Lewis, you're studying, Tolkien would say, you're studying and you're teaching all these grand stories, all these stories that have been passed down from centuries, but there's actually one story that all these stories point, point to, and it is the one that happened thousands of years ago in Christ. This is what C.S. Lewis would say later. Listen to what he said. In the incarnation, God the Son takes the body and human soul of Jesus and through that the whole environment of nature, all of creaturely predicament into his own being so that he came down from heaven and can almost transpose into it. Heaven drew earth up into him and locality, limitation, sleep, sweat, foot sore weariness, frustration, pain, doubt, and death are all from other worlds, but known now in God. Think about this, that when Jesus was born, what did he have to do? He, he began just like all of us, like so many of these noises in here, association, trying to learn in his own dialect and language, what does this mean? What does that mean? He grew up bumping his head, scratching his knee, having to be scooped up. He grew up being misunderstood by friends. Not just in his career, but even as a kid, it said that his family, in even verses in the Bible says, his family even thought he was out of his mind. They thought he was crazy. Can any of you identify with that? He struggled with his family. He struggled with his friends. He struggled with his career. He had a career where even those who followed him in his work, didn't really get what he was doing. And many would look at it and say, you're not really successful unless you do this. He took up into himself all of these things. He took up the emotions of anger, of struggle, of righteousness, of wanting to flip over tables because there was so much injustice that he saw around him. He was angry. He was sad, he would cry, he would bawl so much so at one point he cried so hard it says that he shook like an animal because he was so upset about his friend's death. This is the incarnation. This is the flesh that Jesus comes in to identify with all of the things that you and I deal with, the sore muscles, the cracking joints, right? All the things that you struggle with at your job where you find yourself misunderstood and misapplied. All the ways that you and your family, and especially this time of year, don't get each other. All those ways he came to identify. And yet here's the kicker. Why did he do it? Because it says he dwelt with us. He didn't just come in flesh. He decided he would come and dwell. He would actually be in it with us. He would come into it because it wasn't enough. We sing this song, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And it says, pleased as man, with man to dwell. Jesus our Emmanuel. You see, Jesus was named Jesus for a reason, but he had other names. He had the name Emmanuel. It means God with us. He wasn't just named good teacher. And he wasn't just named 
guy who comes and does some good things. He was actually named God with us. And isn't that what we long for the most? Don't we long for God to be with us? I say this often, but the number one preposition that the Bible uses to talk about God and his relationship to us is with, the word with. Because in the midst of all that goes on, all the things we say we identify with that Jesus, don't we need him with us? Don't we need him to dwell in the midst? Because if he isn't God, if he isn't who he says he is, then why dwell with us? Just to say, I get it. Tim Keller said this. He said, if Christmas is just a nice legend, in a sense, you're on your own. But if Christmas is true, then you can be saved by grace in him. This is the baby that comes. The one who comes in flesh, who dwells with us to experience all of it. I want to finish with saying this, that Dorothy Sayers, who is a British... Uh, she was a, an incredible intellect, th- theologian, philosopher. She said this, and I want to finish by saying this. Listen. She said, what, for whatever reason, God chose to make man as he is, limited and suffering and subject to sorrows and death. He had the honesty and the courage to take his own medicine. Whatever game he's playing with his creation, he has kept his own rules and he played fair. He can exact nothing from man that he has not exacted from himself. He has himself gone through the whole of human experience from the trivial limitations and irritations of family life, from the cramping restrictions of hard work and lack of money to the worst horrors of pain and humiliation, defeat, despair, and death. When he was a man, he played the man. And when he was born in poverty and died in disgrace, he thought it all worthwhile. This is the incarnation. This is what we celebrate this evening. This is what we're doing this time, that it doesn't end tomorrow, it begins. And so it carries forth that we would worship this God made flesh, that we would follow him. I want to invite the Peak family up now as they come forward to light our Christ candle for us. It's a moment for us to stop and pause as we light these candles to remind us of the light that he is, the light of the world. And in a minute, we're going to take communion. Go ahead, feel free to, if you can fit there. In a moment, we're going to take communion And we will celebrate this light who has come and would not be snuffed out. It's amazing. Thank you all so much. It's amazing that this table is actually set by a child. That we actually are taking communion this evening and this may be something that is unfamiliar to you, but the reason we do it is because we're celebrating the fact that this Jesus, this God made flesh, this baby who is even held so fragile and frail and would be hurt even by us because he would need to die and suffer for us. In order for us to know the true presence that God has with us, his mission, his whole point 
would be to come and give his own body and blood for us. If you're here this evening, I would really encourage you to take a moment, maybe to think on this table because coming forward to take this table means that you're saying, you know what, I'm, I'm actually gonna say and I'm gonna say that I, I really think that Jesus did what he said he did. It's not just the sweet nativity scene. It goes further than that. It's about somebody taking on a fragile life that we would come forward and accept his body and blood as our own. And if you're here this night and maybe this is something that you would say, I don't know if I can, I don't know if I can believe in this. Hey, I would encourage you to come forward. Fold your hands in prayer. Sing the songs. Watch, watch this these elements be passed out and just think about it. In integrity, think about what this table really means. Don't do it just because everybody else is doing it. Do it because you actually go, you know what, I wanna think more on this. I wanna really contemplate this baby who came and took on flesh, this God who dwells among us. We're gonna have three places to be able to take this communion this evening. They're gonna be two up here and one in the back. When you're dismissed in the back, you'll both in the back and forward form two lines in the aisle. And you'll go and then you'll feed out back into your rows out to the outside, from the inside to the outside, both here in the front and in the back. When you come forward, we'd encourage you, you can sing as the songs are be playing. Please talk, it's okay. We love, like I said, we love the noise. But come forward, if you will, and do so with a heart Really contemplating, am I thinking about what this is for? Or am I still consumed with the rest of the noise around me? Well, let's stand together. And as we do, we're gonna turn our eyes to the screen and recite our liturgy.